You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Top of the evening, everyone. Alan Seiler. Hello. And Veronica Daschle. Hi. And I love how everybody just sat in order around the table. <laughs> <laughs> we did, didn't we? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> After a year of doing this podcast together, we are recording together for the first time. <laughs> That's awesome. We never even knew what each other looked like until now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're all seated around a table at our house, having a good time and just celebrating our first year of doing a podcast together. One year anniversary. That's crazy. Awesome. Wow. Who would have thought? Yeah. It's all over after tonight. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's downhill from here. (laughs) Right. Well, welcome everybody and um, to everybody out there in the podcast. You get to hear us all together for the first time, uh, looking at each other, which is a little strange. No one's on a screen. (laughs) And so tonight we're going to be doing a little taste testing uh, while we're together to toast our first year. We're tasting the Star Trek wines. We have, Frankie, you want to tell them what we have? We have Cardassian Canar. An Andorian Blue Special Reserve. Hey, you got it. Awesome. Look at that. Yeah. We had to pause and make sure I was saying the right thing with the right wine. <laughs> <laughs> and Veronica, Canastian Cardar, Canar was a favorite of? Uh, Cardassians. Cardassians and, and one specifically. No, um, Is it Damar? Dumar. Oh, Damar, man. He Dumar loved and, it. Yeah, Damar and Canar. That's what happened with him. <laughs> DeMar will drink the Canar until he tells you, like, state secrets. Yes. Exactly. All the time, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> He'll tell you what the plan is. Yes. Okay. So I don't, I don't remember what the proof on this is. Now, do we want to taste them one after the other? You got these, Veronica. So why don't you uh, go first? Well, uh, okay. Okay. So. What are you drinking there? So I'm drinking the Cardassian Canar. Um, I'm going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of reds. This isn't too bad, though. It's a little... I'm getting it enough. <laughs> Give us about five or it's six a little, more it's tests. A little, it's a little dry. Here, hand me the bottle. I'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big fan. Let me drink the rest of this. <laughs> I gotta it, give it a fair it's shot. It's tasty. Um, it's a little sweet and uh, not not so much bitter, but it leaves a dry taste in your mouth afterwards, which is not... Something I remember having from wine before, but I didn't. I tend to drink fruitier wines, so there we go. Awesome. So, Alan, what are you? What? What? You gonna try it? To the trek. Hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. It has hints of no. I don't. Even, can't even. <laughs> I can't even riff on that. I don't even know. <laughs> Mm. It's a hint of squill. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's not bad. I, I kind of like it. I, I, again, I'm, I'm not a big red fan as much as other things. Luckily, we have a blue waiting. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, good. Well, someone who doesn't drink, I'll, I'll only be able to compare this to grape Kool-Aid 
and um, Orange Crush or Grape Crush Soda. So let's see. Here's mud in your eye. <laughs> Here's the thing. Is that what they call dry? <laughs> that's that's dry. That's dry. Yeah. It has a good flavor. But yeah, yeah, I do like the flavor. It is what I guess you'd call dry, but it has a really good flavor. I can only imagine Damar, who was a, basically a drunk on Deep Space Nine, downing several bottles of this. Like like Charles was saying, and then steak secrets fell. The more he drank. <laughs> he was only a drunk because he was dissatisfied with his lot in life right. by the time season yeah. seven rolls around. He, yeah. Season six rolls around. He's not a happy camper. Not at all. All right, Chuck. It's actually pretty good. What would it, what would it go with... So, Veronica and Chuck, what would it go with in the Star Trek world? What would you pair this with? Would I pair this with? Would you wouldn't pair it with Hasperat with you? Would you pair such flavors? No. Bajorans would never drink Cardassian Swill <laughs> with their dinner. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. No, yeah. I guess we don't have any Cardassian foods, do we? Mm-mm. Crackers. I could eat crackers with this. I guess so. <laughs> I'm not even sure. I thought I you what... said crack. <laughs> I'm not even sure I remember what Cardassian food is. I'm not sure I remember what they what did they eat. I don't remember. Cardassians. I don't know. I would imagine it looks like a dead animal though. Like yeah. one of those plates where you have like some dead alien carcass right. sprawled out. Right. Because oh. they're reptiles. Interesting. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's actually good. Yeah. So chug, 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 chug. So what was the verdict on the canar? It was it was fruity and um left a weird dry taste in your mouth, but it was pretty tasty. Okay. Yeah, it was good. If it was on Earth, I'd probably pair it with something like blue cheese or something. But we couldn't yeah, think of cheese. we 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 couldn't think of what Cardassian food was. So y'all uh, write in and let us know what do Cardassians eat and what would they pair with Canar? <laughs> I have no clue. I don't either. <laughs> okay. So what's up next, Veronica? Uh, we're gonna do and the Andorian Blue Special Reserve. So it's not called Andorian Ale. It's Andorian Blue. Okay. All right. <laughs> Now, Andorians are fierce. So I expect this to have a certain taste. It doesn't have much of a kick at all. It almost tastes like watered-down blue Gatorade with a, a little bit of alcohol flavoring in there. <laughs> when you think Andorians have a stronger alcohol? You would think that the Andorians would have a stronger alcohol. Because they... They should talk a big well, this, game. This is what they feed their 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 small children. Yeah, this is this is the children's version of the Andorian. This is what they export to Earth. Yeah, this is stuff that you can actually get. Um, the legal. This is the legal stuff. <laughs> All right, Alan's up next. I expect this to fill me with warmth and to keep me warm on a cold, frozen Andorian night. And is there any other kind? Mm-mm. <laughs> no. Yeah, it tastes like watered down blue Gatorade no. with alcohol in it. No. I w- no, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Santa Hall. <laughs> yeah, it's not as strong as the Canar. I would. I really would expect it more for Cardassian. For geez, for uh, Andorians. Yeah. Hmm. I yeah, actually this... like the taste. It's just not as strong as I expected. Hmm. I kind of like it. All right. All right. There you go. I'm up next. Is this also what you call dry? Mm. All right. Here we go. 
I do prefer the Canar. Yeah. Canar was a little sweeter, a little fruitier than this. Yeah, this almost tastes like water. It it really does. It has more of an astringent taste to it, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, it tastes like wine. It's just I'm not a big wine guy, but yeah, I, if I was going to pick between the two, I would go Canar. Yeah. Same here. Andorians are exporting the weak stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Maybe if I drink enough, I'll get used to it. <laughs> right, right. It's insidious. It's a taste you have to acquire. <laughs> what's their um, what's their telepathic sister species called? Maybe this the is Enar. Enar. The Enar. The Enar. Yeah. Maybe they drink this because they don't want to mess up their uh, telepathic abilities because they're very calm and relaxed people. You put a lot of thought into that. <laughs> yeah. That is that is quite the analysis of this of this watery wine, which now is going swill. <laughs> oh. All right. So we're we're filming this as we do it. So if you're listening to this on the podcast. You can check out our YouTube channel, which will be our grand debut will be today when this comes out. That's January the 17th for our one year anniversary. Um, and we'll be able to see the looks on our faces as, as we <laughs> as we taste these Star Trek drinks. And I have a question. Yes. Do Vulcans have alcohol? Has it ever been mentioned? Uh, well, Spock said that his species was spared the dubious benefits of alcohol. Wow. So I would think that if so, it's not to get drunk. Wow. Yeah? Huh. I wonder if it's boring on Vulcan. It was a Star Trek 5. McCoy said that uh, he could eat a bowl of termites and it wouldn't bother him. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that Vulcan metabolism. Maybe they do have wine, but it's not like... doesn't do anything. Because of their metabolism. It could be that like... A Vulcan soft drink would knock us mm-hmm. on our rear end. Mm. <laughs> yeah. If anybody knows about Vulcan alcohol, let us know. I'd be very curious to know about that. Yeah. I wonder if there's any references out there to Vulcan. There's got to be something. There's got to be some some scene at a bar when someone said, I'll have a Vulcan. It was probably a water, though. Yeah. You know, it'll probably be a joke, and it'll be right. You know, a Vulcan spring water or something. Yeah. Spring water. <laughs> uh, there's a whole other list of drinks we can try. There's the... Um, what, I can't remember. What was the drink that Data made for Troy in that bet? And you hit the glass and it the, glowed. Some kind of sunset. The, the, the sun, sunrise. It sunrise. was uh, not Arcturian. It was because Loxana ordered the Arcturian fizz. Mm. That's Which right. must have like 13 Zs in it, the way she pronounced it. Arcturian fizz. So, well, the odds are it'll be Tamarian or Tolarian. Right. Usually they go with <laughs> everything's Tolarian. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because there's a whole lot of other things we could try for, and I'd love to try that drink, whatever that is. Yeah. That, if that. Praxian bubble juice. Okay. okay. Well, that's a different one. Yeah. You don't see the sunrise on there? Um, The sunrise is not on here. Sorry, and Brandy, Star Drifter, and Synthahol. So I'm reading from the list from the Star Trek cookbook, Ethan Phillips and William J. Brines. Um, and this is Alan Sims on how to recreate Quark's bar. Um. Hmm. Yeah, it has Canar on here and Andorian Ale. Um, I wonder what they have on it. Uh, uh. Are they wines or are they just mixed drinks? So the Andorian Ale, um, so they say to that, that um, okay, so Neelix would concoct it, concoct it by mixing the Nors or Sweeps ginger ale and giving it a head with just half a teaspoon of milk or so, so it looks like an egg cream. Oh. You can also use a lemonade concentrate mix in lighter than usual proportions with a club soda or ginger ale instead of plain water and mixed with half a teaspoon of milk stirred in to give it a head. 
milk and no, ginger No wonder ale. people like two bits cooking more than the <laughs> Well, someone out there try that and then yeah. let us yeah, know on our Facebook group right. what you thought. And film it if you don't mind. Right. Yeah, we'd love to see that. Yeah. Okay, so then the canard that's in here, uh, dark brown Cardassian drink, just FYI, it looks dark colored in the bottle. Yeah. But it is very much like a red when it comes out. Um... Oh, but it has from time to time also turned up purple in some episodes. There you go. The closest look you can achieve is with a deep-colored chocolate syrup and sparkling soda. Its official name is a plain chocolate soda, different from an East Coast chocolate egg cream. That's what I was going to ask. What the, yeah. That went on so long, I what forgot what are they talking reading. about. What, what is it? This is Canar. Canar. This is Canar. So Canar is like a chocolate soda in this book. Well, yes. or at least that's how they okay. made it to look the way it does on the show. Yeah. Oh. Not necessarily that's what the drink is. Yeah, that that's be. what the prop is. Okay. When you described it, I thought egg cream, but they said not exactly like an egg cream because egg yeah. cream is chocolate with... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it says, for purple canard, just use Welch's grape ju- juice mixed with a base of Gatorade's Riptide Rush. All right. Yeah, I want my Star Trek drinks to be a little stronger than that for my Star Trek parties. Yeah, I don't I don't <laughs> think these have very much um, alcohol. These are probably like family drinks. cookbook. Yeah, you know, this if you're is making the family the, cookbook wine. If you're um, in the 1990s and your kid loves Star Trek, here you can make them Canar and you can make them... Well, for that, it's fun. For that, yeah, it's fun. sure. Now, for the Star Trek wines, I'd say that these are worthwhile getting just for the bottles. Yes. So Absolutely. whether you like the wine or not, these yeah. bottles are great, beautiful, collectible bottles. So. Yeah, that, that Canar bottle is gorgeous. Yes. I yes. mean, it's such a close... Uh, reproduction from what they used on the show. It mm-hmm. looks amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It may be because I know nothing about wines, but this is growing on me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all going to be doing the podcast. Keith is going to be slouched down in his chair, like falling onto the floor. <laughs> Sneaks up on you. Yeah. <laughs> so next time, Sorian Brandy, and it's green. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So what's our topic tonight? Well, we talked about... Talking about Star Trek merchandise, we sort of covered our mm-hmm. reminiscing of our first year last week. Yeah, for our fiftieth episode. Yep. Um, I got nothing, <laughs> so I'll just drink well, and listen. Yeah. <laughs> no, we we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I can comment. He, yeah. No, and you you're the one with the um little uh, Star Trek uh, right. thing on it, so that'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah. I could comment. Of course, by the end of it, I might go, man, that really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you got that merchandise. <laughs> Well, what is your favorite piece of Star Trek merchandise? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Look around this house. <laughs> Narrow it down to 50. You, you talk for a second, Brock, and I'm going to go grab a couple things. Um, so we have an entire tree that is currently set up behind us. You can't see it currently, and most of the ships aren't on it. But we have an entire Christmas tree that is d- dedicated to uh, various spaceships, primarily um, Star Trek spaceships. Uh, we've been collecting the um, Hallmark ones as we can find them and getting the new ones every year. I even um, made sure to get the um, new Klingon um, mm, Marauder? Oh, Klingon. Uh, Bird of Prey? Bird of Prey. Which is uh, is it was the like San Diego Comic Con exclusive this year but since there was no Comic Con in person everything was ordered online and I of course forgot to order it um, actually online the morning of from the Star Trek store. So I got to get it from one of the multiple people that ordered like 30 um, versions of it and then sold it for twice the price. Um, but I got one. 
and it's really cool. Um, and of course, we have the Enterprise on the top, and this year we just got the entire set. Um, so th that's probably my favorite thing, because we have a black tree with white light, so it's like all the ships are flying through space. Yeah, my favorite things are actually both books that I got for super cheap. Uh, one of them I got for a dollar at Goodwill, the other I got for two dollars at a thrift store. But I'm going to pass these around so you can, you guys can look at them. I bought this copy of The Novelization of Emissary, the first nice. Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode. That's very and nice. And I opened it up to the inside, and it's filled with signatures. Mark Avery Lamos? Brooks. So these aren't ones that you collected no, after these, you got the book. I found this for a oh dollar and opened it up. And wow. some fan, I would guess in the 90s, carried this around to convention mm -hmm. after convention. And you could tell because... Um, Sadig El Fadil mm -hmm. signed it before ah, he was but, Alexander. But Siddig. Alexander Sadig didn't sign That's it. Right. Nice. Um, that also, dates it. <laughs> Cecily Adams is in it, and she wasn't on the show until cool. a few years after he changed his name. So I, mm -hmm. I don't know the story behind this book, but I imagine that some fan in the nineties kept nice. this book and carried it around to convention after convention, collecting these signatures. And what happened to that fan now, and how this book wound up at the Goodwill, I don't know. But yeah, I'm saying Nana. I found visitor. it, and I'm going to give it a good home. Yeah, um, I, I like the fact that Nana visitor took an entire page <laughs> and made everyone else sign around hers. She, right. she may have been right. one of the first people to well, sign Well, I would imagine that. so. Yeah. Like she, she was the first one that thought that Marco Lamo was in there. Avery yeah. Brooks' signature Avery Brooks. is on there. That's and you know, Avery, nice. Mr. Avery does not do yeah. conventions pretty I bet much anymore. I so. got yeah. that when he was at Dragon Con Maybe, several but, years ago. I mean, a, a lot of these, I mean, for instance, the Sidig Alpha Dill Definitely yeah. dates to the oh, 90s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Um, but did... Um, Avery Brooks was doing conventions was, then. He did yeah. conventions? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Because I, I remember it was a big deal that he came to Dragon Con that year because oh, he yeah. hadn't done conventions. Yeah, uh, that I guess was in a after while. he had stopped. And it'd be even a bigger deal now because he's sort of retired from it all. Yeah. Armin Shimmerman and Aaron Eisenberg. Yeah. Who Who is this one over the... Um, I don't remember. I can't figure that out. I, 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 think, oh, I think that's Terry Farrell. Oh, yeah. Because okay. I was going through pictures of autographs, oh, gotcha. trying to identify who was yeah, taking yeah. my guesses. It looks like so. It looks like um, Terry Fel Farrell and Cecily Adams maybe signed it the same year because they're both in the kind of the, the same. Like that, uh, <laughs> in the same gold. <laughs> I was trying to keep the 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 the. Okay, this binding. is not a thing that cost me a lot of money. It cost me literally a dollar. But just the fact that mm -hmm. it's got this sort of story behind it, and it was just something that was special to somebody that they carried around. And yeah. All these different people have had this in their hands and yeah. signed it. it. means a lot to me. That's really cool. And then the second thing is we were at um, a local used bookstore one day. And I found this copy of The Making of Star Trek, mm. which was one of the first Making of Star Trek, mm -hmm. Making of TV show books I ever read. For lots, that way for a lot of nerds. And it was one of the first Making of TV show books ever written. And it was made while the show was on production and uh, while it was on the air. And it was like 1968, I think they made this. And this was not, this is the 70s uh, issue with an iconic gray cover with a picture of the Enterprise on it. But it was $2. And I already have, I think, two or three copies of this book. But or I was more. like, I'll get it anyway. I'll spend the $2 for this. And it's in nice <laughs> condition. Well, I got home a, a couple days later and I opened it up looking at it. And this is this inscription's inside. For Steve and Deborah, welcome to the journey. All you have to do is take a deep breath and jump off the cliff. It's the most exciting life you'll ever have and the most rewarding in every way. Live long, prosper, and follow your bliss. Love, Stephen Whitfield, a.k.a. Stephen Poe, 8-19-1989. So Stephen wow. Whitfield, or Stephen Poe, a.k.a. Stephen Whitfield, who wrote this book mm -hmm. in 1989, signed it to this couple. Wow. And 
I mean, it was it's kept in very good condition, and it made its way to the used bookstore by my house, where I guess they didn't open it and realized Stephen Whitfield had had signed this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just it's just it's just something special, you know, that that Stephen Whitfield had this, and this couple who, you know, it sounds like they were getting married, or had just gotten married. Yeah, and. And I love a couple who are getting married and want to get Stephen Whitfield to sign the Make Me Star Trek for them. You know? So I'll, I'll pass that around so you guys can see it too. I mean, there's a lot of mass-produced merchandise, mass-printed books, but just those, those little personal touches that really, to me, uh, that are exciting. Yeah. I like know? finding that kind of stuff because yeah. it it's like a snapshot of a history that you would never be privy to. Yeah. And it's someone else's history. You yeah. might not be able to piece together the circumstances behind it. It's true getting signed and who owned it and all this kind of stuff. But it's just this cool little representation of a moment in someone else's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really neat. This yeah. takes me back. So my oldest brother had this book, the, the whatever the first edition when this first came out. Cause I remember being a kid and looking at the pictures of Baylock, which scared me as yes. a kid. Yeah. And then there's the, uh, there's a so-called salt vampire that's in here. There's Andrea. Woo-hoo. And, <laughs> And Sarek, yeah, this really takes me back. It also has what I consider to be the the iconic picture of the Enterprise, which is just a tween beam of blue phasers firing out of the front mm-hmm. of the yeah. ship. Yeah. That's Star Trek to me right yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. That and, picture. And, then, and, and after reading that book, and I mean, I probably read that 400 times when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but suddenly, like, the, the, the Star Trek heroes weren't just Kirk and Spock, but people like... DC Fontana, yep. Harlan Ellison, right. uh, Herbert F. Solo, you know, the, the, the folks that made the show. Matt Jeffries. Yeah, yeah, that became iconic names to me. So yes. finding that was was a real treat for me. And I don't know where that couple are now or if they're even still alive. But I, I love finding these sort of things that were special to other fans that mm-hmm. for whatever life circumstances have made their way to use bookstores and Goodwills and, you know, bring it home and, and give it a good home. There you go. You write an entire story about how that got to you because that is very. It's interesting to see an autographed book in a book used bookstore. Mm-hmm. So you wonder what happened. Yeah, interesting. What's what your favorite that? piece of merchandise, Keith? Oh well, listen. Besides, are- besides this wine that we're drinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's this really cool Playmobil set I just saw. <laughs> this really cool Playmobil Enterprise yeah. I just picked up tonight. <laughs> Alan's going to distract Chuck in the other room. <laughs> actually, the my favorite that I have, which is actually, I think, actually back in my home in Fort Worth is, and why am I blanking? What is the name of the model company that did all the models back in the 60s? And AMT. 70s? AMT. And I, when I was a kid, my parents bought me, uh, there was a Klingon battle cruiser that I put together and actually painted and hung up. And that thing is now 50 years old. Nice. Wow. And I have it at house, my, have it at my parents' house back in Fort Worth. And that's still my favorite piece because it just, it, I built that at the same time I built the, um, I don't know, it's more like nine or 10. I built the Eagle, Space 1999. Yeah. Okay? For those baby. who know that, I had that copy. Oh, as I well. love I had that too. I love it. Yeah. That. So I still have a fondness for those models. They're mm-hmm. just, they're just, they were just so cool back mm-hmm. in the day. And AMT yeah. always put so much detail into those oh, models yeah. back then. And I was horrible at putting models together. And I have memories because I, I literally remember almost falling out because that was back when you used model glue and it smelled like lemon. And I didn't have enough sense to know I should stop. And I'm very bad at that kind of stuff. So I just kept applying more glue and more glue and more glue. And pretty soon the whole house was smelling like glue. Right. And I was like lightheaded and stuff like that. But I, I managed to get stuck together. That's still my favorite after all these years is those AMT models, those old school yeah. models. And that's something tactile too where yeah. 
you're not just playing with it, but you're assembling it, which is, you know, you play with a toy and I know when I was a kid, you're rough with it. Right. But models were different. Models, mm-hmm. you, you handle like you're doing surgery, yes. you know? And, <laughs> yeah. that, and there's a, a lot of, a lot of care that goes into those. I, I still have the first, um, the model that I built, it's the NCC uh, 1701D, the, the next generation Enterprise. Okay. And the nacelles are put on backwards because I got the because <laughs> it looks like that's where the rocket comes out. That's it. Right. You know, I was probably 11 years old. And that thing has been through so many moves. Wow. The cats knocked it off of the fireplace uh-huh. mantle and it did a whole generations thing where the cells are separated and it was terrible. So I, <laughs> I have it in pieces now, but I still have that thing. Nice. That's really cool. Um, my current favorite thing is um, the... The ship models that Eagle Moss is putting mm, out. Yeah. They are so incredibly detailed. Oh, yeah. They're nice and heavy. They're solid pieces. They've got really great display cases. Um, and so they started with Discovery. Well, they did some other ones before. They did a lot of Doctor Who stuff, figures and all kinds of things. Um, and then when they launched into the Star Trek stuff, they did a whole line of Discovery. They started with the Shenzhou and the Discovery. So I, I don't have like, I'm not, I don't really have the collector gene. Mm. You know, I go through phases where I want to have everything of something and then I, I don't know, yeah. get tired of it and it takes up space and you have to <laughs> dust it and blah, blah, blah. So, right. you know, so I've got all these Doctor Who figures that I don't do anything with. But these ships are so beautiful and they display so nicely. Um, I've got I've got those two and I've got five other ones. I've got the the Shran, of course, and uh, just they're just really really nice. So I'm going to be picking up more as I as I go. But I've got seven so far. That's Love awesome. them. Yeah. They're beautiful on a shelf. Yeah, I've managed not to buy one of those because once I buy once one, you buy one, yeah. you are sunk. And when it was first announced. I was going to sign up when I thought it was $20 mm-hmm. a month and mm-hmm. to get a ship. Mm-hmm. But then I found it's $20 twice a month to get a ship. And right. I was just... No, I know. I can't spend I all my money to fill my house with tiny ships. <laughs> you know, I, know. I don't and, have room for tiny ships. Right, exactly. And I, I, I'll say, like, I got uh, two of them for Christmas one year, a birthday and a Christmas. And then another friend gave me some because he's like, oh, I don't have any place for these. Do you want them? I was like, yes, of course I do. <laughs> Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of come to me and, and yeah. so now I'm going to be, uh, buying some more. And now that they have like, uh, branched out their, their line, they've done a Picard, the, the, whatever that ship is La called. Serena. La Serena. I yep. the La Serena, but you know, it's La Serena. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the, the Serena. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they've gotten into the 32nd century ships. Mm. So I, I'm, uh, buddies with the guy called Chris Thompson who works at Eagle Moss and he's uh, marketing or product development. I don't remember what his job is there, but he's a uh, super, super ni- nice guy. So I emailed him and I said, hey, good luck, you guys, with making ship models with n- uh, detached nacelles, <laughs> which they are doing. Yeah. They, they have are. them coming out. Yeah. I'm excited to get them. I'm looking forward to the... Uh, I've got the original Discovery. Mm. I'm looking forward to the thirty, the refit of the right. Discovery from the right. 32nd century, and the season two Discovery Enterprise, which I think is a gorgeous mm. reimagining of the original ship. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, the ones that are really attractive to me are the the concept art that never got made into a ship on the show, like oh, the yes. original Jeffrey shuttlecraft. Right. Yes. Um, right. You know the um, Planet of the Titans Enterprise, which became the discovery mm-hmm. years later. Right. Right. Uh, th- those kind of ships that just ne- were never on screen. Mm-hmm. I, I, just, 
I love that they exist, but like I said, I've not. That and Funko Pops. I've also avoided Funko Pops because I do have the collection. Yeah, don't get into it. I'll go down the rabbit hole and I'll be sleeping on Funko Pops. (laughs) 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 All right, you found some merchandise, Veronica, just in time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, So y'all can't see it. Um, I... Oh, are they still up? Oh, good. Yeah, they Yes. Okay, so I have Andorian um, stalks. Antennae. Antennae. <laughs> Whatever. Stalks, antennae, same stalks. thing. Stalks. <laughs> and I just realized I probably put this in backwards from where it's supposed to. Put this in by, what do you mean? Oh, um, <laughs> I have Uhura's little earpiece that I can't mm-hmm. figure out how to make stay in my ear. Because it has this little thing where you're supposed to be able to twist it and it stays in your ear, but I can't. Seem to make it work. <laughs> is it is it functional in any way, or is it just decorative? No, it's just decorative. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but they could make that, and they could make it Bluetooth. They really should. I don't I've know got, why they haven't. One of my other favorite things is I've got the communicator that's yeah. Bluetooth, I, I, and, yeah. it, and it connects to your phone, and you go, that's <laughs> great. and then you can like get phone calls and stuff on your Star Trek communicator. It's so awesome. That's awesome. I love it. My, my partner got it for me for Christmas uh, two years ago. Nice. So if you wanted to, you could call into the Zoom for our podcast and do it on your communicator. That's so true. I should do that sometime. Because <laughs> it provides a number. You can, or I guess it's Bluetooth, so you can just log into yep. on your phone and just talk to on your communicator. Just walk around talking exactly. on your communicator. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I like that earpiece uh, that Veronica has because there's there's so much tech that they put in the original series that just looks cool. Yeah. And like that earpiece does and... Spock's little viewer that he used to do. And I just love that stuff like that. The tricorder. Of course, mm-hmm. the original tricorder. Personally, I don't think any phaser has ever surpassed the pistol-looking phaser from the original That was series. a nice prop. Yeah, that was that awesome. was Yeah, it looked so handle, good. The phaser one and the phaser two. Right, right. Um, I never liked the I TNG. never liked the dust busters. Yeah, on. that's what I call it. Hey, dust, what <laughs> yeah. was it now, with those things? In, at, the re- at the beginning uh, in, in TNG mm-hmm. season one, they did look exactly like dust busters. Yes. They, absolutely. They redesigned them, yeah. mm-hmm. and they looked so much better. Right. Yeah. But those are those first season one ones are so dumb. Yeah, there's nothing better than those. And I like, yeah. and, and I, I like some of those props. Like, um, one of the props I like, and I can't remember what episode it is. It's also the little viewer that Sulu had. And mm. you remember there was one episode where it comes up yep. out of the console, yeah. and it was an actual whole thing that they had that oh, built. Yeah. I think that was Cat's Paw. <laughs> no, not Cat's. I keep doing that. Friday's Child. I think it was Friday's okay. Child. But there's one where they go into alert, and it's and it comes up. It takes time. I just love the time they took for that. That's awesome. Didn't Spock also have an earpiece? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. Occasionally, wear, occasionally the navigator would wear an earpiece mm-hmm. as well. That's right. And I mean, like I remember, um, was it Bailey who had the earpiece and was getting a message on yes. his, over the communications beam? Yes, that's right. Yeah, because yeah, Kirk said something, Mister Bailey, or something. No, yeah. or Spock said it. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. That's that's one of the pieces of technology from the original series that I think still holds up really well. Yes. Now that Bluetooth earpieces are mm-hmm. ubiquitous, they're every everyone's got them. Right. Um, but that's, yeah, this is poorly designed. It does not sit in your ear in any form. <laughs> that was a fan-made prop. Was that a fan-made prop, the one I gave you for your birthday, or is that the one that we got from the fan film? This is the one you got me for my birthday. Okay, so that was a fan-made prop, um, but I don't believe he meant for you to actually <laughs> talk on it. Okay, look, but they gave you this little earpiece okay. that's like those little earbuds that you put in your ear, yeah. and then you twist them, and they're supposed to hold in place. Okay. So you would think... So it's either a design flaw or... That's User how far ear. the line you are. Or that guy had different shaped ears and they worked <laughs> fine for him. That's true. That's true. That's true. Might have bigger ear holes. Right. They, they're just not designed for Andorians. <laughs> there you go. 
Well, I'm going to get more wine while we're talking. I don't blame you. I'm going for the canard, though. I'm going to mix the two. Oh, that ought to, oh, that ought to, Crazy. That ought to be interesting. <laughs> this party getting started. <laughs> hey, Dad. What's the Soul Forge podcast? The Soul Forge podcast is all about life, the universe, and everything. Is it good for kids? Oh, no. It's not good for kids. Is it geeky? Oh, it can be geeky, but it can also be serious. We talk about life, sex, dating, and mental health, and so much more. Where can you find a Soul Forge podcast? You can find it everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and the ESO Network. Keith, you had wanted to talk about DS9. Yeah, that's right. Um, DS9 is a show that holds a special place in my heart for a whole bunch of reasons since I grew up watching the original series when I was six or seven years old. And then there was TNG, which was a a great show. But TNG was still much in the vein of the original series where they were literally going, boldly going when no one had gone before. And I remember when DS9 was announced, first off, of course, who grabbed me, which grabbed everybody, was Avery Brooks. At that time, I knew Avery Brooks mostly as Hawk on an incredible TV series called Spencer for Hire, starring the late Robert Urich. And he was the kind of stereotypical streetwise guy, but he was, he was, um, Hawk was, Hawk was a man who did it, whatever needed to be done. I think he was an assassin sometimes. He was an enforcer. He was a very mysterious guy, but he was incredibly charismatic. And he and Robert Urich just worked. He was the epitome of cool. So when I heard that Avery Brooks was going to be Benjamin Sisko, I was really excited. Now, when I first saw him, I was very disappointed. I think a lot of people were because he had hair and he didn't have a beard. And I swear he does not have the swagger that even Avery Brooks has in real life. I think he. I think I agree with you. On yeah, that. he just doesn't. It was, and it was yeah. it was silly because yes. it, it literally had something to do with they didn't want two bald captains at the That's time. That's right. That's right. Yes. Because you that's know, insane. It, it is. That's so dumb. <laughs> but there wasn't you go. it something about how they wanted to differentiate him from Hawk as well? I imagine so. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Picard. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never be able to tell him apart. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, um, for me, it, it meant a lot. Um, also, it was a black, uh, as a black person, the first time there was going to be a black, well, that's a personal issue with me, but a black commander instead of a captain, but the mm. whole other conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. yeah. That, trust me. That didn't Every go time over. a ship landed on the station, he was outranked. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> trust me. That didn't go over well in the black community. He was a commander. <laughs> yeah. It was like, conspiracy. But uh, wow. also, I tend to like, I like everything. I like humor. I like all the adventure. I tend to lean a little bit more toward the serious side of Star Trek. I find myself sometimes getting into shows like in the original series, uh, Requiem for Methuselah. Uh, the original uh, TNG, I loved Armok Beyond mm. Reason, and Who Watches the Watchers. Right. I'm oh, not, I love that. Uh, yeah, I'm not just drawing the sad stuff, but I like really deep stuff. So, Deep Space Nine, when they were first announced, it was said to become what is now a kind of a cliche. It was supposed to be darker and grittier. Nowadays, <laughs> th- those are terms you don't use anymore because people go, "Oh God, grim dark," you know that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But I was looking forward to that, and I was intrigued by people would say if the original series was Wagon Train to the Stars. Then DS9 <laughs> was 
Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Yeah, yeah, it was it was the, the yeah. little town or mm-hmm. the fort. Yeah, or the gunslinger. So, yeah, exactly. Because I was I was looking forward to it. right. So I was looking forward to a place where they didn't go everywhere and people came to them and they were able to build a community. I was intrigued that this guy Rene Aubergenois, who I had only known as the comedic relief on Benson, mm. was going to be. Constable Odio, Odo, another term I'd never right. heard before. So for me, right. Deep Space Nine was so different from the original and TNG. I was kind of like, bring it on. But I remember back in those days, it's still days where the internet was real big. There was people who hated it before it started. And you know, as you know, well, every show, people hate every that show. That happened right? with TNG. Exactly. Like crazy. They just, they're insane. Oh my gosh, people trashed it for a yeah. long before, time. Yeah. Before right. the ever. Star Trek actors were trashing it before That's it started. That's actually true. Uh, uh, Klingon on the bridge. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> a, a pilot who can't see. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I just, I was, I was just excited for Deep Space yeah. Nine. I was the, some people say it's probably got the best opening, the best um, premiere yes. in all of the Star Trek franchise. I think it was a great premiere. I think it took, according to the kind of cliched formula, it took probably three years to find its footing. One, it's so obvious that it was a TNG kind of, it was like every week it was, sometimes it was a monster of the week. It was a thing of the week, but every now and then they would do something like waltz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, or duet. 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 That's duet. one. Thank you. That's, I always get those waltz. Waltz is the one, where, the one where Cisco and Ducat crash together. Right. That's an awesome one. Duet. Yeah. And then you would say, oh, this is what the show can become. Yeah. Um, and then it took two or three years, but it has become probably my favorite mm. of all of them. There's so many things. For, it's, it's like I said, for me personally, having a black man as the co- commander, then captain. Um, there's a huge issue in the black community. And I would say in all communities about how people treat family. And when it came out, it may seem weird. But when Deep Space Nine came out, showing a black man who actually took care of his kid, mm. who was actually in the house with his kid, who actually loved his wife, even though she was dead, was kind of rare. And I loved seeing that. Mm. I love that later on, they actually gave him a woman that he loved, a wife. Right. Again, which is something that you didn't see often. And so much I like about the show is because what the people behind the show did with it. For example, Avery Brooks is the one who pushed the Cisco and Jake Cisco relationship. He pushed it. He was the one that really pushed bringing um, Cassidy Yates in. Because he wanted that. And we were talking about this earlier, but when Deep Space Nine was first plotted, the original goal was for Cisco to die at the end of the series. He was going to die as a hero. And even up until the seventh season, that was how it was going to go. And Avery Brooks was the one who said, no. I just, and, he, and again, this means something to me, but Avery Brooks says, no, I'm a black man. I don't want to die. I want to be around for my kid. Mm-hmm. Of course, then they sent him off to some space time well, for a while. Yeah. But then he finally came back. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just love that uh, Avery Brooks was the one who made Cisco not die. Also, it would have been weird to have only one captain die in a series. Now, we know Kirk died later, but it would have been kind of strange to have one captain be sacrificed yeah. like it, that. But so, it, it should happen at some point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't want it to be Burnham. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know who I would want it to be. Yeah. But it's just like having a a trill as a main cast character. Right. If you have a trill character and you don't have the trill change hosts mm-hmm. and you don't explore how that right. impacts the character and how the next host has to adjust to life with all these memories that she doesn't understand. You right. know, people were so upset that Terry Farrell left, but if you didn't do that, mm, what an enormous wasted opportunity that is. And I do think that at some point there should be, uh, you should have a, a, a crew that has to deal with the death of their captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like what Joss Whedon liked to do, kill off somebody, because he would say it, hap- it would happen in real life. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I kind of agree with that. And and I think and one thing I like about and 
Deep Space Nine, in some ways, is still the most controversial of the series, only because there are so many times where diehard fans says it does not hold to Rottenberry's view. Yeah. Um, in the Pale Moonlight sure. is one. Uh, and I forget the other episode, but it's, I forget the name of the episode, but it's the one when uh, Cisco is chasing um, the Maquis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 oh man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, oh. It, and he literally has got to destroy an entire planet's yep. biosphere. Yeah. Right. So there are so many times where people talk about that that show does not hew to the Star Trek vision. I will not spoil this for anybody, but Admiral Ross, we find out. Yeah. I love it for that. I love the complexity mm-hmm. of that. And so yeah, absolutely. I, I think Deep Space Nine keeps you thinking about what the future would be like. I am positive that much of Deep Space Nine, Gene Roddenberry would not have liked. I'm positive of that. Seeing yeah. how he opposed to so many of the changes. But I think it's a, we're all the better for having that series. Yeah, I think so too. And it's, it's just a different philosophy mm-hmm. of, you know, the, well, one, on one hand, you're saying that the future is paradise. On the other hand, right. you're saying that mm-hmm. you have this paradise because you're fighting to, to preserve it. Right. right. You know, so right. having that paradise continually be challenged and, right. And a, a lot of times it's, it's Starfleet personnel who are having to, maintain it they're having to mm-hmm. make the right choices you know you're having admirals who sometimes make the wrong choices and yep. you know oftentimes it's the captains who make the right choices yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so, and discovery has <laughs> done the same sort of thing as well right where you know it's 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 up to us to you know live up to it when our leaders fail us right you know which is something right. that you know we're all sort of <laughs> going yeah. through mm-hmm. these days exactly but mm-hmm. watching ds9 and it's I've said before, it's one of the best post 9-11 series I've ever seen that was made that in was, the nineties. Right. You know, that's a very good point. I right. mean, you've got the the whole homecoming and yes. you know, that that plot with the paranoia and you know, you can't trust your neighbor and that stuff was uh, ten years later was all over. Oh yeah. You know, you got Akira as a or not Akira. You've got Akira <laughs> as a freedom fighter. We've been having wine. Not folks. Akira. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so many things that would be so topical just a few years later right. than DS9 was already doing. And a lot of it's because they were basing it on his, on history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on history, unfortunately, tends to come back around. Exactly. Exactly. Very cyclical. So, Veronica, what are your thoughts? Because I know one thing, one thing I like about shows like this, I love a Star Trek series that doesn't do cookie cutter from the one that came before. And they brought in a couple of races that, Maybe didn't, you didn't use like you thought, but the Ferengi is a good example. I never would have guessed the Ferengi would have been that central. And I never would have guessed they would have been that successful in DS9. But I know that's your favorite species. Yeah. Um, because I, I really, when I first started watching DS9, I didn't really remember them from TNG at all. Mm. Even though they were in like the, the second, the <laughs> you second don't official the la- episode. You remember the laser whips and the fur? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's one of the ones I had caught on syndication. Oh, gosh. Um. The Ferengi, when I was watching DS9, were the Ferengi. So I didn't have that awesome experience of, oh, they're supposed to be laser whips and <laughs> Yes, literally. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, people. I did, y'all missed it, but I tried to do the little finger thing. It didn't work out very like well. A bad, like a bad Bond villain or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the Ferengi in um, Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Blender said he's even doing the hand thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So did you like the freaking because they were comedic so often? Yes. That is, that is, that is definitely my thing. Is I, I always like the, the comedy aspect of <laughs> so whatever then, I'm watching. So then you like it when Brunt would come on. Yes. <laughs> and announce himself. Any Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anytime Jeffrey Combs is on the screen, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's been argued, too, that the Fringy are the most human characters yeah. in Star mm-hmm. Trek. 
That yes. if, if when humans get into space, we're more likely to be the Ferengi <laughs> than the Federation. Yes. Good point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting you say that because um, people always wonder why Jadzia liked the Ferengi so much. Yeah. And she said they were what they were. Because, you know, one time I think if somebody was war for somebody, like, well, how, how, how can you stand these, these untrustworthy blah, blah, blah little trolls? And she said she liked them. They were, yeah. they were fun. And as long as you knew what you got. Yeah. And they weren't perfect because Jadzia didn't like perfection at all. And the Fringy, they, they don't have much of a pretext. Right. No, they, no. they just, like you said, they're just, they're just themselves. Yeah. They're just, they're just the Ferengi. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. they're proud of it. Yeah. You know, the <laughs> things that we see as negative attributes are what they take pride in. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things about the, speak about the Ferengi and slightly comedic is when, um, Zek, mm-hmm. the Grand Nagus, when they were trying to open up trade in the newly opened Gamma quadrant, right? Because basically nobody in the Alpha and Beta quadrants trusted them anymore, and they were having a hard time continuing their commerce because basically every time they they were coming, people oh here come the Ferengi, right. so they were trying to open new vistas to exploit, basically, <laughs> which is why they were trying to negotiate with the Dominion, and I think it was Tula Berries is yes, what they first did. Berry wine, yep. <laughs> that's it. Man, that's what we should try Tula Berry wine. Yeah, ah, yeah. Star Trek wine's gonna crack that open. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. I'm ready for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bring on the Ferengi. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Alan? What'd you think? It sucked. <laughs> I'm kidding. Podcast over. Right. <laughs> All right. No, it is it is by far my favorite Star Trek series. Wow. Because of the complexity of character, because of the complexity of story arc, mm-hmm. because of the way that things you know, most of the shows were one and done episodes, and this this developed over time. Yes. And you know, my my favorite character, well, he's not my favorite character, but I think the best example of what DS9 did well is, since we're drinking Kanar, mm-hmm. is Damar. Oh, yeah. Because he starts wow. out as basically Goldukat's second. He um, Henchman. A, yeah. yeah, yeah. Until, yeah, he's a henchman until he henches Goldukat's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and then he becomes the, the Dominion lapdog and he's mm-hmm. put upon and mm-hmm. he's you know, disgraced and he gets more and more drunk. And then he hits that turning point and he starts to become a freedom fighter to liberate his people. Yeah. And you have the relationship, contentious relationship between him and Kira. Oh, that was who Kira has to teach him how to be a freedom fighter. This is what we did when you people were (laughs) occupying us. Right. Mm -hmm. Here's what you need to do to your occupiers. What? That is incredible writing. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I thought that I thought that it was just a phenomenal character. Everybody says Garrick mm-hmm. as their favorite character. Mm-hmm. And and I agree, he's up there. But I think Damar <laughs> is just a remarkable piece of character development. Yeah. I agree. And one of the things about Casey and the, uh, Biggs. Uh, oh, and the thing that makes it so remarkable is that he's not main cast. Absolutely. He yeah. DS9. You forget took, who's main cast. In those in those last two yes. seasons, there yes. really was no right. division between yep. who is main cast and who's yep. guest character because every character was developed with the same amount of depth. Yep. Yeah. And I, I just think that's an amazing achievement. And you and get Star Trek today where the bridge crew isn't developed. <laughs> right. And since we'll have to do spoilers, um, Alan, as you talked about people going out, Damar dies, as we yeah. know, in a way that was heroic and yeah. he became a symbol and he became Absolutely. an enduring symbol yeah. for the for, for the Cardassians 
And one of the things that we're talking about him not being a main character is originally Casey Biggs, who played him, was not meant to be even a recurring character of the frequency. Mm -hmm. And actually, one of the people behind the show, I forget who said that, they actually said that he looks good drunk. (laughs) And so that storyline where he started, Al and I were talking about this off mic earlier, how Dumar became a drunk because he was, everything that he stood for was crumbling around Mm -hmm. him. He killed Ducat's daughter because she was a traitor. Yep. And now Ducat, who he loves and admires, has pretty much betrayed yeah. Cardassians to the Dominion because now it's, no matter what happens, they're flunkies of the Dominion. And that was not what Damar wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, you're right. And that's, he literally lived, he lived in a glass of canard because he couldn't handle anything yeah. that yeah. was going on. Yeah. And, at the, and it was kind of like with um, uh, Aaron Eisenberg as mm-hmm. Nog. Um, they didn't plan it and then they saw the actor and they saw the story and they're like and that guided them to a whole storyline that was not planned at the start with Casey Biggs because he was that good and it just worked I mean Max Grodinchik was hired for basically a one-off right stuck around for seven years Mm -hmm. his character became more and more integral Mm -hmm. became the Grand Nagus I mean, that, exactly that's just amazing right and it's so funny like of the of the characters in the first season, in the first few episodes, mm-hmm. he changes the most. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, he like, was completely He goes different. from, like, super stereotypical Ferengi to yep. Rom. Yeah, because he's just a Ferengi. And <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, most of the, the, the great DS9 supporting characters are that way, where if you went back to their first appearance, yeah. mm-hmm. where, you know, Martok was just a Klingon. Right. right. You know, Damar right. was just the number two guy who's... Right. To, right. You know what I mean? And a exactly. lot of Star Trek shows would have left them there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But by bringing them back and bringing them back and let those characters develop, I mean, that, that's something that I think they struggle with on the modern Star Trek shows. They keep Absolutely. killing the bad guys. Right. Like, imagine if you killed Dakot at season one. Oh, right. Imagine if you killed wow. Damar in his first appearance. Yes. You know, right. like, yes. keep them alive and develop these characters. Yeah. Yeah, because when you're talking about um, Nog, I remember he tried to kill his brother. Remember? He tried to... Um, he Rom. Tr- Rom, sorry, yeah, sorry, one, one. Yeah, Rom tried to kill Quark. He was not the same Rom that he became no, later. No. As a matter of fact, he was making fun of him. He was also prejudiced in that way that people are because he was central to the episode where they didn't want Keiko teaching in the right. school. Yes, oh, and man. that is not the character he became. He's the no, most open-minded no. cringy who was, ever lived. If he was the Rom of like five episodes later, he would have been like, "Yeah, go to this, go to this human school, right? <laughs> so Learn right. all the things." So here's the question: <laughs> Is does that mean that he has been that he's no longer a genuine Ferengi and he has been tainted by human ideals? Has he has he shifted from his own cultural I don't know, touchstone? I mean Yeah. I think both Rom and Nog did. Yeah. Like but is that a good thing or a bad thing? For other Ferengi, that is a bad thing. Well, well, I I think for a lot of people, just being exposed to a big mm-hmm. melting pot like that, yeah. and you're right. going to challenge your own views. Mm-hmm. You're going to pick up new ideas. Yeah, you know. And I've I've said before, I sort of liken Quark, the Quark family, to like a first a first generation immigrant family, mm-hmm. where yeah. Yeah. Nog is you know they're, they're doing everything and you know the the old right. way, and it's the the new ideas coming in over the course of the series, right? Where like slowly, yeah, they're having to deal with. You know, considering women as people and well, uh, and that's the other thing fairly. is that even on their own planet, things yeah. are changing. Yeah. And, and and women are asserting themselves and women that's are true. taking power. They, you know, they have to do it in a way that they don't get caught or whatever, yeah. but they're doing it. And so sisters are doing it for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and part of that too is probably it seemed like a good idea for the episode where they started. 
but right. 15 years right. later, you can't be. I'm not writing another misogynist episode. I gotta, yeah. gotta do something. Yeah, yeah. 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 Some, um, some of, some of those... it doesn't age well. No, yeah. no, they really don't. Umox yeah. for fun and profit does not age well. When Court basically had his had his employee. Oh, yeah. that, that I mean, that works on The Sopranos. It doesn't work on yeah. Star Trek. <laughs> the Sopranos with yeah. Ferengi. Yeah, <laughs> but I think what you're saying is interesting because I still think to this day probably the most growth across the most characters took place on DX Space Nine. Yeah, because if you think about Bashir, he was a he was a sex he was a womanizing jerk, really. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. smart. Um he turned out to be genetically engineered, which even um uh, Alexander Siddig didn't know. That was another thing yeah. that they thought about later. Yeah. But toward the end of the series, he's I mean, there's every now and then they still throw in a little creepiness with with uh, Jadzia, but toward the end if you compare him, he's a completely different character he's mature he stands up to cisco in the the, the pale moonlight it's actually one of my favorite scenes for bashir in the entire series that only lasts a couple of minutes it's when and and to do all this complicated trade to get the stuff done in the pale moonlight Mm -hmm. cisco demands bionomatic gel from Mm -hmm. bashir and he says that could be turned into a bio weapon Mm -hmm. and cisco basically says i don't care give it to me and he stands up to him literally says i'm gonna file a formal complaint with starfleet because what you're doing is highly Mm -hmm. uh, unethical and dangerous yeah and that that Bashir is not the same Bashir from the first season no because we talked about this before but you can go on the internet and you can find uh, YouTube videos that are basically called Cisco Yells at Everyone. <laughs> and Bashir's in quite a few of those. I do love watching Cisco yell at people, though. I know, right? He's great. <laughs> one, one of my favorites of those is um, they're back on Earth, mm-hmm. and he brings Nog in. I think it was either Nog or the other Red mm-hmm. Squad guy. Mm-hmm. And um, Oh, no, it was Nog, because he's like... He wants to know the information about Red Squad. Right. And Nog's like, well, I don't really feel good about that. You seem to think I'm making your request. <laughs> I just love that where he yes. just turns it on and yes. it's like, you're going to, of course, follow his orders. Right. Because you've got two people in all of Star Trek who have those voices, and that's Patrick Stewart and uh, Avery Brooks. Right. Patrick Stewart, of course, Shakespearean actor, and Avery Brooks, a trained singer, professor of music at Rutgers University, a voice that just booms. So you're oh, right. Yeah. When he'd say something like this, you're right. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. okay. Carries himself with authority. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. I think it's interesting that when when anybody talks about DS9 on this level, you always end up talking about the supporting cast. Right. Because yep. no yes. other show has a supporting cast mm-hmm. like this. Absolutely. So let's talk about main cast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who are your standouts? Who do you and we talked about Bashir for a second about mm-hmm. how he progressed. Who Absolutely. else do you think had a great story arc over time? And who were the strongest? I love the O'Brien Bashir relationship. Oh, yes. I love yes. that yeah. you can go back yes. to the beginning and yeah. O'Brien just hates Bashir. <laughs> yes. yes. And understandably so. That, yes. that episode where they're playing rack, space racquetball together is just <laughs> hilarious. Um, He's doing all those calisthenics before he even starts hitting it. Right. <laughs> He's got and, that funky outfit then, on. Yeah, just the great outfit. Yes. It's like a 40-year-old guy and his 28-year-old co-worker that right. he just can't stand. <laughs> and just watching those guys just yeah. Grow into this like bromance by yeah. the end, yeah. Where you know you can't imagine them not hanging out together and being friends. Agreed. You know, yeah. yeah. I just love those guys. Agreed. Yeah. How about you, Veronica? Um. So my first, the first name that popped in my head was Dax, mm. but um, she she didn't have a ton of growth. She was fairly well Dax. Yeah. Uh, Jadzia. Um. Right. For the entirety of. Well, she was a the little series. different in the early seasons. She, she was they a had little to different. Out what to do with her. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. She, but she didn't have a lot of like growth, like 
uh, um, Bashir right. did. I mean, even O'Brien didn't change that. No, O'Brien's sort of much. O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think Kira was uh, probably one of the other main cast members. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously Bashir was the biggest change of all of yeah. them. But Kira, I think, uh, was the next biggest change from beginning to end mm-hmm. the, you mentioned Azia, and i think the unfortunate thing because i don't think this is the reason because this is something you always have to be careful of unfortunately some of jadzia's greatest work and contributions were when she was paired with wharf and you always have to be careful you don't want to say that a woman mm-hmm. is better because she's paired with a man but in this case it makes sense because they were a couple i don't think that was it and that was another one where there's an episode when Worf first showed up on the show michael dorn and it's when um, Jadzia has convinced Kira to go do a Ren Fair kind of thing. Yeah. And they come out of the holodeck with uh, like the um, Renaissance era costumes. The they got Arthurian, yeah, with the, Arthurian with, costumes, yeah. right. Yeah. And literally Michael Dorn looks at her and he says, nice outfit. And from that one thing, the producers and writers said, hey, there may be something between yeah. them. Now, a lot of people hate the romance between Worf and Jesse. Oh, I love really. it. No, I think it's perfect. <laughs> I think it's perfect, but it all came from that. Yeah. And what it did was, it's not, it, it really is not, I don't think it's because it was a woman with a man. It's not because she was defined through Worf, but they allowed her because she was, she was fun loving and she was yeah. incredibly confident. Mm-hmm. And she put Worf in his place so much because Worf is, I like Worf a lot, but he could really get on your nerves sometimes. Because oh, yeah. Worf is not even a typical Klingon. If they've said that, he's way about, he's more about honor than Klingons really are. Right. Yeah. You know, he's right. like, he's read it in the book. Yeah. And I love their yin and yang together. Yeah. It was yes. always like, Worf, get over yourself. And he'd just sit there and, he didn't know what to do with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she already had the history of the Klingon thing Absolutely. on the show before he came along. She knows yeah. so it wasn't, it didn't seem thrown together yeah. that they would have yeah. common yeah. interest. She, exactly. was, she used to be ambassador to the Klingon Empire when right. she was yes. Curzon. Yes. Right. The thing that I love about Jadzia, first of all, is the fun-loving thing yeah. that you're talking yes. about. Because we had only had Spock and Data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're both very like straight-laced, focused and it was interesting to see, and it, it, at first it seemed kind of out of place to see a science officer who is wacky yes. and who is fun right. and who can joke around. And I think that was really a cool angle. But the other thing is, Star Trek shows never have as many women as men. Mm-hmm. And I think the uh, – you so you always have – the friendships between right. men right. on these shows. And I think it was really cool, the pairing of Kira and Dax. Yes. And how they became so close mm-hmm. because they're from completely different points of view. Right. Yeah. She oh, yeah. is the Bajoran freedom fighter and and Dax is the Starfleet trained, mm-hmm. you know, the military mind science officer. Mm-hmm. And they are oil and water, but they mix somehow. Yeah. And they yeah. form that bond. And right. I absolutely loved seeing that. You saw a little bit of that with Troy and and Crusher. Yeah. Not a lot. Right. Not a lot. You never got too many minutes of of being able to see those two together in a friendly kind of setting. Right. Um, but you got a lot of that with Kira and Dax, and I mm. loved it. Yeah. I think that was something that, that Star Trek absolutely needed. Right. Mm. I agree with that, too. I think also, of course, the main the star, Benjamin Sisko, I think he grew a lot. And I oh, think yeah. one thing you're saying was so interesting is he is – I've never done the screen time, but Avery Brooks' character probably appears on screen less than any Captain of any series I that agree. I can think of. Yeah. Because they they play so much emphasis on mm-hmm. ensemble, and yeah. this ensemble was huge. Right. They had – 
something like, and I counted up one time, and I think it's like 35 recurring characters throughout the course of the season. The last uh, stretch of episodes, 27 main characters that were all getting screen time, all being developed, wow. all getting good material written for them. Unbelievable. That's true, because yeah. if you bring in Damar yeah. and you've got the, all, yeah, all the Cardassian characters, yeah. all the Dominion characters, yeah. uh, Brunt comes back in yeah. in the last episode, uh, all the Klingon characters. It's so big. It's such a huge cast. The Grand Nagus. And they're all developed well. Yeah. They're all given that, that screen time and right. that script time. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. I, I love I love uh, Cisco's arc because when he comes there, he is literally a broken man who's lost mm-hmm. his wife and is trying to raise his child. And they even meant, they even mentioned that they when they did that handoff with, from Picard to him, kind of shoehorning in the TNG thing, right? Right, you know, which is right. real weird. Kind of like when O'Brien left the ship, Picard beamed him off the ship. It was okay. You got to do that kind of stuff. It was it was weird, but I, he was a broken man who didn't want to be there. Yeah, and they were like, okay, you've been designing, I guess, the Defiant and some other stuff for a while. We need to give you this assignment, mm-hmm. and it becomes literally the most important important assignment in the entire Federation, right? In the entire quadrant, yeah. and two quadrants if you count the Romulans spilling over to the Beta Quadrant, and. I think what's full interesting about it, and it's always the legend, of course, is that the, the main people were doing, I think, Voyager. Mm-hmm. And after yeah. a while, they kind of ignored Deep Space Nine, yeah. which is why Deep Space Nine would never be what it became yeah. had yep. those people still had their thumb on it. Because they did something that is so rare in Star Trek. They brought religion in, which is mm-hmm. just not talked about in Star Trek. Yeah. And to this day, are, are the prop, you know, people say, well, are the prophets gods? Are they not gods? I was listening to another podcast talking about who mourns for. Adonais, because it's not I Adonis. It was Adonai. I, I, Adonai, yeah. And they talked about there's that whole thing of if you're raised in a Western Christian tradition or mm-hmm. Jewish tradition, or I guess even a Muslim tradition, you believe in one God. Mm-hmm. And there are nobody else, nothing else should be called God. There's right. one end of story. But in so many other cultures throughout most of human history, most mm-hmm. cultures have believed in gods mm-hmm. that are not so called supreme beings. The Greek gods and the Celtic gods and the, um, the uh, Asgardian gods could die, which yeah. the god I was raised to can't die because right. it's completely the thing. But I love that they did that because the discussion of whether the prophets were gods or not is really not germane to the conversation. And a lot of times they yeah. would say, do you believe they're gods? doesn't matter. That that doesn't yeah. matter. They provide a source of faith and stability. And I've even listened to some other podcasts where people argue what use were they because with their powers, why didn't they stop the Cardassians from doing Bajor. Well, is that not the discussion every religion has about their right. God? That's right. exactly religion, what I was going right. to say. Everybody asks that question. Exactly. Right. If there is a God, why are there, you know, wildfires in Colorado that exactly. are destroying people's homes? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and so I, I love the religion that they brought in there. And I love that. And one of the things I love about Cisco is toward the end, even Jadzia said that. If you remember, the, there's the episode where Costamotion? Yeah, oh was God. coming back. Costamogen. Yes. And even, even Jadzia, <laughs> at some point, he was talking about the prophets, and Jadzia goes, Benjamin, I remember when you called them wormhole aliens. Right. You're now calling them prophets. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. And even Admiral Ross at one point in time said, are you a Starfleet officer or are you yep. the emissary? Yep. Right. And Cisco's like, I've been trying to be both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. That controversy because i think things like matters star trek mostly has ignored religion and pretty much all gods have been shown to be phonies and kirk oh, killed sure. them kirk right killed them and you yeah. know, put them in their place it's a, a spoiled child or a crazy computer exactly yeah <laughs> but, that's, but that's a science fiction trope exactly right? that's yeah. not necessarily a star trek thing yeah i like that ds9 did not do that they didn't yeah. remove the agency of the god of the prophets mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. are whatever they are to the they are majority. they are what they are exactly and <laughs> and the um 
the founders. I remember this episode when um, Wayun was talking to, I think, Goldicott, and he was talking about the whole thing with the prophets, and he says, they're gods. And he says, well, you think the founders are God? And he literally said, that's different. They are gods. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh. Yeah, you could go all night naming like absolutely um, great lines that Jeffrey Combs had because <laughs> they, wow. they would give him the the best stuff as Demar. Yes, not to, as Demar. <laughs> I've been drinking wine, folks. As Wayun, as Wayun, he right. was great. Yeah, uh, there was one to your point when um, he was talking to Jake. This is after they taken the station back over, mm-hmm. and Jake elected to stay. And in his incredibly oily, smarmy way, Wayun is talking to Jake, and he said, Jake. Your articles against us are just so prejudiced. And he says, and he's so nice. He says, for example, you call it an occupation. It's not an occupation. And he says, so Jake says, so he says, he tells Jake, until you adjust your attitude, I'm going to keep reading your articles. And when you write articles we like, we'll release yeah, them. Yeah. And Jake goes, what about freedom of the press? And William goes, tell me you're not that naive. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, one thing I th- I think they did that didn't ever work for me was um, uh, Garrick and uh, Ducat's daughter. What was her name? Zial. Zial. Garrett. The Garrick oh, Zial thing was... didn't work. I thought that that was so well, forced. It, was, it it did seem kind of one sided. Yeah, yes. she was much more into him than he, and he right. never could understand why. Yeah. yeah, he said that. And I think we all know why. <laughs> yeah, but it was that just didn't. I, make I sense. thought it would have it would have been great if um it was Jake and Zial who fell for each other and their dads yes, yes, yes. are oh. enemy. Never thought you of know? that. That's great. Yeah. That yeah. would make a good point. Well, um, I wonder if they specifically avoided that because it would be too Romeo maybe and Juliet. too Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, I mean, by the end, yeah. He, You've got Cisco punching him into a lake of fire, so it's not like <laughs> avoiding the cliches. <laughs> um, I gotta say, as much as I love this whole series, and I love especially the last two seasons of the yeah. Dominion War, that whole Costamogen thing with the with Damar, you know, flouncing around like he's a Bajoran and. Yeah. And uh, Kai Wen can't tell the difference. I hate Ducat. it. Uh, what did I say? Demar. Oh, I, I <laughs> no. wonder if Lemo said, "I'll come back." I'm just not. I can't do that. I can't do that. Make guys. I know. They had to figure something out. Yeah. That's possible. That's it truly, possible. it truly doesn't work. Um, you mentioned the thing with um, Garrick and Zial. One of the things interesting is Andrew Robinson has said many times that he thought that Garrick was gay. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he Everybody said, I that. played him as that. Right. So what, what you're saying, Al, yeah. so when they started talking about the thing with Zial, he's like, huh, what? And I think for him, and you know, he's a, he's a really phenomenal actor, but I think to a certain extent his heart wasn't it. And I think, and then I think outside of whether or not Garrick was gay, I think and I don't, I don't think I know this. I've read this. He also he just didn't think it worked. He's like, yeah, they could have been friends. He he felt they should have been more like mentor and mentee mm-hmm. or father yeah. or whatever. But he thought the right. love thing didn't work like that. But right. you know, what do you do? Yeah, you don't win them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I think that um, one. And we talked about we're jumping back to the minor characters. Speaking up, I think that Garrick is a very interesting character because. Even though he becomes the leader of the Cardassian people, um, he's still more Cardassian than Cardassians are. Mm-hmm. I mean, even toward the end, he was still, you know, there's episodes in fifth, sixth season. He's still talking about how the, the good that the occupation did the Bajorans. Yeah. He still kind of holds on to that. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting to see what he becomes. But at, at his heart, he's 
I don't even know if you can call Garrick a good person. Yeah. He is what he is. He's still a yeah. spy. He's still an assassin. Mm. He's a true blue Cardassian, though, more than Ducat turned out being, I think. Yeah. Whatever that is. And then on the subject of things that I feel like DS9 got wrong, it annoys me at the end that Martok becomes the leader of the Klingon Empire. Uh, Rom mm. becomes the, le- yeah. the leader of... Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, well, on and on. Like, obvious. Our main characters don't all have to go off to lead the empires. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I I do I do like the character art from Martok. Yeah, I, I, I love Martok. I think oh, yeah. he, I think he is the oh, greatest Klingon character ever. Yeah, he is. He awesome. is the Klingonest Klingon yes. there ever is, and they want they want you to think Worf is, but he isn't. No, no Martok he's the most is ideal Klingon. Right. Um, but the 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 Rom thing I think was more for comedy than yes. anything else, and and for the unexpected twist of it. Yeah, but. Yeah. Because he never, it was always Quark that was gunning for that. Yeah. Right, right. Rom never cared. Right. He just wanted to do his thing. I, I love Rom so much. Which is probably honestly why the Nagus pick Rom. Yeah, exactly, Quark. exactly. Mm. But to your to your point, I do know <laughs> when when everybody ends up being, you know, the leader. I mean, but at the same time, your show is going to focus on the exceptional people, yeah. the ones who were, you know, the 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 high ranking, the ideal. So you know, I. I guess. And before we get out of here, because I think we're going a long time, there's one person that we have to miss real quick is just fast is I, I, I am more and more don't use the term villain. It's a personal thing because sure. I think characters, the more complex they are, the less they're quote unquote villains. Mm-hmm. So I use protagonist. Kai Wynn. Mm. Is there anything else to be said? Yeah. <laughs> Kai Wynn was I love just her. amazing. Yes. I have heard people. I hate I've, her so much that she's that great? awesome. Isn't that great? <laughs> and and I, I, I was listening to somebody on another podcast debating whether or not she was faithful. And some people said she had no religious faith. She was evil. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I disagree. I, yeah, I, I think disagree she, completely. Yeah. So, okay, let me tell you this story. Mm-hmm. I was a, well, I was almost a Holocaust studies minor in college. Wow. Okay. I took enough, I was a music major, and I took enough other classes that I could have had at least three different minors, but I never, like, <laughs> finished any of those as an official minor. So I took a lot of Holocaust studies classes. Hmm. So there is an episode midway through the series where... Uh, one of these wonderful moments between uh, Kira and Kai Wen. And, you know, as always, and they go back and forth, whether they're antagonistic with each other or whether they're, you know, working together or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where Kira is berating her for something. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Kai Wen just kind of smiles and says, you, you say that like, like, I don't know what it is that you're talking about being a freedom fighter. You, I remember every beating that I suffered at the hands of the Cardassians. Yes. You know, basically yes. saying, I hate them as much as you do. Exactly. She's yeah. basically being accused of being a collaborator. Right. And so I, I, I latched onto that moment and I wrote this short story. Mm-hmm. There used to be this, uh, it was a, it was a, an anthology series that came out once a year and it was short stories written by fans. And you could write about any aspect Strange of Star Trek. Worlds. That's it. Yep. Exactly. And so I wrote this story of uh, talking about Kai Wynn, or, well, Wynn's, um, Adami Wynn, uh, her experience in the uh, occupation during, in the labor camps and all this kind of stuff. And I sort of related it to a yep. Holocaust survivor. Yep. And uh, the only thing that kept her going was her faith in the prophets. About the time I finished this story, they did the episode in season seven where Wynn is like, 
you know, she's jealous, ragingly jealous of Cisco because he has communed with the prophets mm-hmm. and she has never heard the mm-hmm. prophet's voice. And then she leaves the prophets and she goes to the pa wraiths. Right. And I was like, well, there's my stupid short story out the window because I painted her as a, you know, you may question her motives, you may question her morals, but she held on to the beliefs in the prophets and that's what got her through that experience. Yeah. So. There you yeah, go. I agree. And I think she is complex because not, let's not forget she was introduced. She was trying to kill what's his face. Um, it's pretty. Um, the, oh, Burial. Burial. Yeah. <laughs> she was behind the plot. Yeah. So right. she, she was. She's unquote, a shady character. Yeah, She was kind of evil from the start. Right. Yeah. And, and I what you said about that. I don't like that. She went over to the par wraith at the end. I, I, oh, I, I, I wouldn't have that. gone that route. I hated it. Because, again, when we talk about complexities and if you talk about God and a God, if you believe in a God or not. And then there's the whole thing about, is your path in the future set? I guess you'd say right. that the prophets knew she was going to betray them. Right. But me, and I as a, raised a Christian, I've, I've had these questions. My, my late father was a preacher, and he used to tell me, and I was like seven years old, my, I would question God. And my dad and my mom were raised in the country, and they would say, you're going to burn in hell or lightning's going to strike you. Because I asked questions. I was like, yeah, why would yeah. God do that? And, my, and I was like, you don't question God. And I'm like, but that's not right. And my dad would yell at me. <laughs> so the whole thing with Kai Wynn is... What does God need with a starship? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so to the thing with Wynn, it's what you're saying is she was a woman of faith at one point. Mm-hmm. Now, did the prophets look in the future and say she's going to turn? I'm, to me, it's like, prophets, you could have said, hey, every now and then. Yeah. You could have said, hey, Kai. Maybe she would have hey, become. Guy. Yeah, it's weird. It, it, at the same time, it's kind of weird because they go to Cisco, who knew nothing about them. Yeah. Right. They, I mean, Kira can just walk in the temple and open an orb, and they talk to her. She's she, time traveling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's and then it, it's that question of I don't like that she turned against them, but I understand her question is like I've done all this stuff, and if I was wrong, sometimes is this how you punish me by never talking to me? Right. They almost drove her that way, but yeah. then of course, again, raised by a preacher's son, it's like anything. In Christian churches, anything you do, don't you ever blame God. It's you. Yeah. No yeah. matter what happened, Job. You know, like I was, I, I remember the kid, and I remember we learned the story of Job, and I, and I was like seven, and I was like, Dad, God killed Job's sons, his mm-hmm. this, his mm-hmm. that, and I was like, that's wrong. My right. dad's like, don't you ever question God? <laughs> like, but it was a, but it was a bet. Yeah, literally, God. He's like, "Hey, Satan, what's up?" Satan's like, "What's up, God?" Yeah, and God's like, "Oh, nothing." But hey, man, I bet you can't do anything to Job. Right. <laughs> and my dad's like, "Don't you ever question that?" And I still question it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Don't strike him. I know, right? I, I was raised enough in the church where even saying that makes me nervous. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Any time the prophets could have said, "Hey, Kai Wen, listen to Cisco. Don't murder people." Yeah. You know? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Or, or, hey, God, that's called a cut. Save yeah. everybody. <laughs> right. Or that. Yeah. Right. Wow. I got bad news for you. <laughs> yeah. But it also makes it incredibly complex because it questions. It both. It both. Verif- it both justifies and questions religion. Which I think is yeah. what you should do with religion. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's both Agreed. sides at the same time. And yeah. I love that they explored every side of it. Absolutely. You know, everybody had their own perspective. Right. I loved it. it so Me good. too. Wow. Well, I guess we could go on for this yeah, one. Right? I know. <laughs> We're at an hour and 15 right now, right? Oh. <laughs> so, last thing, is, is DS9 everybody's favorite track? Yes. Oh, yes. My favorite will always be the original series. You know, it's it's like... Did you love the second person you fell in love with more than the first person when you were a teenager? Like I, I, the original series became my favorite show when I was probably ten years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's always been, 
But I, I was, I think, the perfect age for DS9 because it debuted when I was 11. Hmm. So not long after I started watching Star Trek. Okay. Wow. But then I followed along that series, you know, I mean, what I was probably a teenager, 15, by the time you get to the Dominion War. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, it was a seminal series for me. I remember when Game of Thrones came out and people were talking about how it's this expansive mm, series with all these right, characters and right. ongoing stories. Like, mm-hmm. well, that's what DS9 was my Game of Thrones in the 90s. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so a, it's, I would love another show like that to come along. I, I would too. But Where you're tying in all these stories all together yeah. and yeah. all these starships and... Starships what this there. ship, they're not necessarily directly interacting with this, but because of what that happens mm-hmm. on this ship, mm-hmm. it affects all these Absolutely. other people. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about DS9 is it has its history. The people feel real to me. I feel like I lived on DS9 me for too. seven years. Me too. That's a good point because one of my favorite, well, two of my favorite shows of all time, they're recent. One is Parks and Recreation, and the other one is Shit's Creek. You don't have to bleep that. It's a real word. I know. Okay. <laughs> and and both of those shows make you feel like you are part of the community right. in which these characters exist. Yeah. You feel like you're in Pawnee, Indiana. You yeah. feel like you know the town. And and I think that's a remarkable achievement. It also makes you feel like you want to live there. Right. I felt like DS9 was a real place a real community, mm-hmm. a real town Where you that, could I, live. that you could live. Exactly. Not, not that you'd have to I be never, a federation to right. possibly be there, but you could be a normal Joe Schmo and go yeah. live on DS9 yeah. and have a life there. Right. And, I, yeah. I always wanted to be on the enterprise on right. any of the enterprises, but I felt like I could have been on yeah. DS9. And DS9 has a whole other life in the novels because it has this whole history mm. to it separate from the other Star Trek shows. Yeah. With right. the Bajorans and the Cardassians. Yeah. And, you know, it's like its whole own mythology that they right. created yes. right there in this one little corner of Star Trek. Yeah. Right. The Ferengi, all this. Yeah. So much stuff like that yeah. going mm. on. Yeah. Great show. Okay. Well, um, are we ready to wrap it up? Or yeah. Something else? Oh, I'm like we'll Charles. Wrap it. I think I'm like Charles. I. I think the original series very slightly edges out DS9 is my yeah. favorite, but that's like that's like one is a 10 and one's a 9.9. Right, like yeah, 9. I love 5. both. Yeah. I just love it. <laughs> All right. Well, Alan, where can people find more of you on the internet? Cosmicpress.com. K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com. And you can find you. Cosmic... Hang on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I stepped in. Pause. <laughs> I didn't need to pause. <laughs> you can find Cosmic Press on Facebook and Twitter. And you can check out my other podcast, which is Modern Musicology, which is found on Spotify and all the other places you can get great podcasts. Like now you can one. go, Keith. Okay. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and on the ESO Facebook groups. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. <laughs> oh, hey, that was pretty close. I was close. Oh, that was, okay. So the other day, um, Chuck was editing the thing when you mocked me this past week. <laughs> you mocked and he's me? Like, wow, that's a term you don't hear often. When, <laughs> when he was, when hi. I said, and you went, hi. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> just like her. It was exactly the same. Like, yeah, it it sounds was like hilarious. <laughs> All right, do you have a closing, Veronica? <laughs> no, Mark not at chance. all. <laughs> Drink Star Trek wine. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. We'll have to do this from time to time. Yeah. That's, that sounds like we have a sponsorship with them. <laughs> right. And we're, like, we don't. They haven't Star paid Trek us wines anything. Star Trek wine does not condone this, pro- <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> no. No, I paid full price for these. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. 
You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Thank you.